Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we are speaking with Dr. Christine Wilford. Christine received her DVM from the Texas A&M University in 1987 and then completed an internship in small animal medicine and surgery at Virginia Tech. In 1990, she moved to private companion animal practice in Washington State. Having written a research paper on pet overpopulation and spay-neuter in eighth grade, she was destined to work for increased access to spay-neuter. In 1997, Dr. Wilford co-founded a free feline spay-neuter clinic, the Feral Cat Spay-Neuter Project in the Seattle area. Focusing on feral cats at the beginning, she quickly realized that all free-roaming cats, whether feral, tame, or in between, must be part of any effort to address feral cat populations. The clinic started as a MASH-style clinic admitting 100 to 150 cats on one day per month. Due to the huge void of accessible spay-neuter for free-roaming cats, the clinic moved to a freestanding clinic in 2003 and a larger clinic in 2007. The organization now provides almost 10,000 spay neuter surgeries per year, surpassing 75,000 total surgeries in 2013. The FCSNP launched a clinic model website in 2007 to mentor organizations worldwide to increase access to spay neuter. Amidst all the volunteer work Dr. Wilford practiced, in a six-doctor feline-exclusive high-acuity hospital in the Seattle area for 17 years. Her current passion is to align with like-minded people focusing on solutions so that all cats and dogs will enjoy better lives. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Going back to eighth grade, I would just love to read that paper if you still have it. (laughs) I think I might auction that off as a fundraiser. (laughs) I would totally put a bid on that one. That's fantastic. So, so what, what made you think about pet overpopulation and spay neuter back in eighth grade? I think, I think my first words when I was born were, I want a puppy <laughs> and um, I'm going to be a veterinarian. So I, I don't know how I got wired for that, but, and, and I honestly cannot remember how I got to that eighth grade mindset, except for uh, at, at that time of our world, the dogs ran loose in the neighborhood and my puppy that I finally got in third grade had three litters and every cat that we had was dead before a year old and um, had many kittens. And so I think I, I, I think I just had a really soft heart and realized there was a problem. But what, what I found really interesting, my sister brought me that paper. And I found interesting that I quoted 20 to 22 million animals killed in animal shelters per year. Um, And that's just, that's astounding number to think of. But having aged a little bit since eighth grade, looking at the numbers now are estimated at 4 million a year. We've come a very, very long way. So all the hard work that people are doing um, has changed our culture and we are doing better. We are doing better. Now, when I first met you, which was 
Quite a while ago, we were both at an event in Phoenix, I think at PetSmart Charities. At that point in time, you were doing, I think maybe you had been doing the MASH style clinics, and then you were just starting to move into a freestanding clinic mode. Can you tell me a little bit about what a MASH style clinic is like? Well, uh, MASH style is uh, a whirlwind, at least for us and and other people that I've talked to, where all the equipment and drugs and paperwork and food and blankets, anything you can possibly think of is packed into uh, storage bins and prepared, um, taken to a location, usually in, in the morning, unloaded, set up, animals arrive, surgeries happen all day. At the end of the day, while you're recovering and discharging, you're packing up and making lists to restock. It, it's a it's an incredibly long, busy day that takes a lot of manpower to pull off. Um, but it it's very, very effective uh, in certain areas. Um, for me, we ended up with um, 60 volunteers usually eight surgeons, which were not of the skill level that our high volume, high quality surgeons are now. This is back before that had really taken off. Um, So regular private practice veterinarians doing surgery. So 60 volunteers, eight surgeons, and maybe 120 to 150 cats in a day. And we would start about seven and we would be done about seven. That was our level of efficiency. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, the organization that I was with for the last 20 years, Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, we started our MASH style clinics back in 2000 and we still have them. We still we still have one a month. Um, and I would say, yes, the tote schlepping gets very exhausting. Yes. And uh, we luckily are at a location. Now we go to the same location every month. And so we're able to leave our supplies there. Um, so that at least is one piece of the puzzle that um, as our volunteers and many of the volunteers have been doing this for over 10 years. I mean, it's it's an amazing family that has developed, but we're, we're not all, we're not getting any younger. And I, so I think that the, the backs of many of the volunteers, they're very happy that they don't have to slept those totes too far around. Exactly. Yeah. Once you had this um, sort of epiphany in deciding that the freestanding clinic was the way to go, you got that sense that that would be more efficient or a better course to follow, or just it was a, you, you couldn't have your MASH clinic handle any more cats and you needed to find another alternative to get a higher capacity. Yeah, it was a kind of a culmination of several things. I had flown to Buffalo, New York to give some lectures and in the audience was a veterinarian who asked, do you really think you're making any difference doing 150 cats a month? And of course, the answer is always, well, I made a difference for those 150 cats. But his point because I'm hypercritical and I'm an overachiever, his point stuck with me and and actually just could not stop thinking about that on the long flight back to Seattle of, wow, we should be doing more. You know, he kind of threw the gauntlet out there. And I, you know, at first I was a little offended by it. That was my defensive mechanism. But then I thought about what he said and got back here to Seattle and started thinking we should be doing more. Um, because I combine that with the fact that when we opened our reservation line within 
you know, 12 seconds, our 150 reservations were gone. And sometimes that was maybe four people and then a hundred people would be mad. They didn't get a reservation. So it was obvious that we needed more capacity. The cats would be there if we built it. And so we just decided how much are, are we willing to sacrifice of our, you know, our lives to get this to happen. But that, that is the big push was we, we could do more and we should do more. And then became the challenge of getting the money together in a location and all that. Um, the beauty was when we moved that we then had four volunteers, one, sometimes two surgeons, and we'd get 50 cats done in about five hours. So the efficiency level went way, way up for us. Um, the safety level for the cats went way up because the anesthetic period was shorter. The surgeries were faster. There were a lot of very, very beneficial things. And then, of course, we could go from once a month. We immediately went to twice a week and then escalated up to five days a week. It was, of course, a whole lot more work for me, but much, much better for the community. And the volunteers, I think, got more satisfaction, less chaos, more consistency, more quality, um, all those things. And I'm sure there are MASH units that operated much better than ours when we were doing our MASH unit, but we were in a teaching facility. So we had a constant turnover of new volunteers, which makes it more difficult to keep your consistency and quality in place. So you had a lot of, a lot of training on a continual basis. So you didn't have the, as I was talking about the family, the same family showing up every month. Yeah. When you say that word, I'm so envious. (laughs) (laughs) No, I wanted a family, but we couldn't have one. (laughs) And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. Ready to make a big difference for cats in your community? We've got an exciting opportunity that can jumpstart your efforts. The Community Cats Podcast has launched Community Cats Grants. When you qualify for this innovative program, you'll gain valuable knowledge about how to raise funds for your spay-neuter efforts. Plus, we'll match the funds you raise up to $1,000, doubling your ability to make a difference for cats. Fundraising doesn't have to be scary. We'll be with you every step of the way. Check it out. You can find all of the details on the Community Cats Podcast website, under our education menu. Let's join forces to make the world a better place for community cats. So looking at your total numbers through 2013, you were surpassed 75,000 surgeries. So how did that impact the local shelter intakes in the area? Well, we're actually, we passed 100,000 just a couple months ago. So we're even a bigger milestone now. The gauge in the local shelters is difficult to relate to our project because we've gotten some cultural changes in getting shelters to quit taking in feral cats, period. You know, they might bring them in, alter them, release them. So we've got a lot of modification there. We have a bunch more rescue groups. But the thing that that I feel like is a great feedback for me is when I meet veterinarians at meetings, they'll comment that they haven't done a cat spay in a couple years <laughs> because they don't need to. And what that tells me is that we've got the rescue groups and the fostering groups and the shelters and you know grassroots adopters and all the folks really in the mindset of spay-neuter before adoption or before homing. And my clinic, Feral Cat Spay-Neuter Project, does a lot of spay-neuter 
for the the local little shelters, the you know the one and two person nonprofit type people, and even one of the bigger cat shelters has has used us. They're now using Humane Society, but the the culture here is now kind of astounding. If you have a kitten come in to private practice that isn't altered, and so I think with that, besides our increased access for everybody, the pervasive idea that we should be altering all these all these cats it, it has contributed to the drop in killing in the shelters because that and, and I do call it killing because I believe that's what it is when they're healthy. But that that number has really dropped. One of the biggest changes, I think, is our county shelter. We have a new manager and they totally get the trap, neuter, return philosophy. Don't bring feral cats into the shelter and have them sit in cages. So there are a lot of changes that have been here locally. I don't want to take credit for all the improvement, but we've certainly contributed. Oh, by far. You know, 100,000 cats, that's definitely an impact. Yeah. The Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society's cat mobiles just surpassed uh, over 55,000, I think, since we opened in 2008. We we opened a mobile in 2008, and then we got a second mobile in 2012. And so we were over 55 just recently. So that's definitely, it definitely helps the cause. Absolutely. You get extra credit because that's a mobile unit. So (laughs) (laughs) I would, I would make your numbers artificially inflated because that's so much work to, to do it that way. That congratulations. That's amazing. As a organization, historically, we've assisted over a hundred thousand cats because that doesn't include mash style clinics have assisted. It's like 10, 15,000. And then we've got the cats that we adopted out. And then I also have run a mentoring program too, that helped. We've has helped like 80 organizations across the country with their TNR programs and setting that type of stuff. So fun in different ways, um, trying to help different groups. We were talking earlier a little bit about some of the challenges that people face when they're involved in spaying and neutering cats and whether we spend a lot of our time and energy focusing on the needs of one particular cat versus focusing on sort of a larger scale spay-neuter project and the challenges of those two, I don't know, personalities and sort of choosing which personality you might be. Would you be willing to comment a bit on that? I would love to because that was a struggle that I had personally before I could really define it and articulate it and then um, not feel uncomfortable about it. I'm I'm the population person where I would love to see the day before I die that people stand in line to adopt cats, that there are more people wanting cats than there are homeless cats. I don't want to exterminate cats. I don't want cats to be extinct. So if someone says spay neuter all cats, you're basically going to extinguish the species. So we don't, we don't really want that, but what we want are for all cats to, to have homes and the homes might be, you know, in a barn or it might be in a condo, wherever the home is, we want, we want the cats to have homes. My approach to doing that is reducing reproduction. I can keep my little boundary up and look at a group of cats in a clinical sense of bay neuter, treat the treatable and relieve the suffering of those that aren't treatable. There are plenty of people that if they see a single cat with a group of problems, they're going to feel more compelled to help that individual cat. So they might want to pursue some dental care 
Um, they might want to try fixing a fracture or a ruptured ligament or, um, you know, lacerations that need more than just shaving and releasing. So that's a little different philosophy from mine. It's not right or wrong, but it the fuzzy place in the middle becomes, do you leukemia test every cat that comes through? Do you treat ear mites, fleas and worms in every cat that comes through? And the answer to those questions, in my perspective, is equate the cost of of helping an individual cat with how many spays and neuters you aren't doing. Because I don't know someone personally who is independently wealthy. Everyone I know has a budget limit. Um, Some of them are greater budgets than than mine will ever be. But, But we all have limits on what we can spend. Um, and if we put $5,000 into a surgery on one cat to make its life the best it can be, how many spays and neuters did we not do because of that? And if we didn't do those spays and neuters, how many more kittens are born that then are going to be without homes and so on and so on. And so that's how I'm able to look at it. But I'm human. So if you hand me a cat and it's rubbing my face and purring on me and it needs some help you know i i don't have a lot of willpower in that world so (laughs) i might just be inclined to you know lean over and take care of that individual cat i i am a, a sucker for that but what happens in the rescue world that i see is people pick sides and say well you shouldn't be fixing this on this cat you should be doing more spays and neuters or other people will say well you shouldn't have euthanized that cat because it had that problem you know you should have helped that cat with the money that you have blah 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 and and there's no right or wrong to that and that's what i want people to realize is you might be the person who wants to help that individual cat you might want to put flea control in every cat Instead of spending that money on spay neuter, you may want to leukemia test every cat. Although I have very strong recommendations against that, but there, you know, there there might be ways you want to spend your money that isn't spay neuter because you think that it's helping that individual. That's okay. That's your prerogative. The person who merely wants to go in and do all the spay neuter and you must rabies vaccinate, um, that that person is legitimate also with a very different approach. To TNR, and and I think we have room in our rescue world for both philosophies and all the ones in between. Um, I think there's en- enough things in the world we can argue about without us arguing with each other about managing cats. Um, so I think supporting each other with dis- different philosophies gets us much further towards our goal of, of homes for every cat. And, and understanding where people come from, I think, really helps the cats <laughs> in the long run. Yeah, I'm going to put my fundraising hat on for a minute. And I, in my experience, the people that want to fundraise to support programs to assist that cat that needs $5,000 worth of help versus funding a spay-neuter program, in most cases, are usually very different people. Yeah. So I feel like the donor dollars, if you have your fundraising structured in such a way to be able to serve both kinds of donors, you will be able to attract those donor dollars, but yet an unrestricted dollar, if we're talking about an unrestricted dollar, then there's that conversation. But yet if you do open up and a lot of organizations do have, you know, Mickey's emergency fund or whatever, they do set those those kinds of campaigns up. I think that the donors that go into those pots aren't necessarily your spay neuter donors. 
I think they can become spay neuter donors. We that was our challenge in the beginning because when I when I agreed to help start this organization, I set limits and I said let's only do what other people aren't doing. There's no reason to duplicate fostering, adoptions, you know, all these other things that the the other nonprofits are doing. What's not happening here is spay neuter access. So I will join the effort if all we do is spay neuter access. And so we made our mission very, very, very narrow. What we did to fund that was educate people about feral cat prevention is you will save more lives through spay neuter than you will save through fracture repairs and abscess treatments and leukemia tests by far. And educating our donors, we've never had a funding problem. Once we educate people of, yeah, spay neuter is not warm, fuzzy. We can't strut down a runway with, you know, all the lights on our million dollar fundraiser night. We don't get to do that. We don't have a lot of kittens that donors can come in and pet and put their hands on and then write a check. It's not a warm, fuzzy, sexy fundraising picture, but we have converted plenty of donors to understanding your dollar goes further when we can put it into spay neuter. It might not be as cute, but it it will save more lives by preventing the birth of more animals. And so I think they can convert. And I what I found too is a lot of our spay neuter donors were also the warm fuzzy donors. Mm. They would also contribute to those other campaigns with other organizations to help, you know, a dog get a cart that was paralyzed or, you know, get the military dogs home and airlift animals out of Katrina, that kind of thing. So they were straddling the line. But I think education helps people understand that spay neuter isn't just surgery. It is prevention at the highest level. One thought that I have going on down the road, we've spent all these resources on spay neuter and our cat population is going to be aging. There's going to be a lot more need for some supportive care for those cats as they get older. And I think that's going to be an issue that we'll have to address five to 10 years down the line. Yeah, we've seen that. We've had quite a few colonies out here um, where the cats got into the middle teens. Fortunately, they did it gradually. They didn't all hit the ceiling at one time. But generally, by that point, they're they're touchable cats. The caretakers are soft hearted and end up usually taking them into their homes at that point. Um, there have been a few that that wasn't going to work for some of the cats that really needed to be outside. But one of the things the clinic does, and I also do privately, is euthanasia when it when it comes time. Mm. But yeah, it, it's interesting. Whatever situation you can possibly think of, it's either happened or it's going to happen mm-hmm. <laughs> with a cat and a person. It, it's pretty amazing. It, it does not get boring. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if folks are interested in finding out more about the how to do a MASH style clinic, would you have any resources you'd be willing to recommend? Yeah, I helped Dr. Julie Levy at University of Florida set up her organization's clinic model website, and it's Operation Catnip in Gainesville, Florida. It's at the University of Florida. So we just redid all the protocols and procedures. We added photographs, some videos with different things, tried to estimate how many uh, volunteers we would need. The unique part of that MESH clinic is it's at the vet school, so they have eager vet students and some 
surgical residents that help out. That's a wonderful, wonderful situation for them. They have the same, I think, at North Carolina. But I believe the website is O.C. Gainesville, G-A-I-N-E-S-V-I-L-L-E dot org. So that's Operation Catnip in Gainesville. And um, there is lots of information on that website. We'll definitely, we'll look it up and we'll make sure we get that in the show notes. Christine, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? I would just want to encourage everybody to keep at it. And when you feel like you're not making any headway, that you're spinning your wheels, think back to my eighth grade paper where we were killing 22 million animals in shelters in our country, which we are not doing now. So every bit of work that people are doing is working. And the more people that do it, the more cultural change we have the more progress we make. TNR was a fringe, crazy idea when we started in 1997. And now it's so mainstream that no one even raises an eyebrow anymore. And that is a beautiful, beautiful cultural change. So stay at it. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Christine, thank you for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope you'll be willing to be on the show in the future. Oh, absolutely. Just let me know. Thanks for listening to the Community Cats podcast. If you could go to iTunes and review the show, we'd really appreciate it. When you do, take a screenshot of your review, go to communitycatspodcast.com forward slash review and enter your information and we'll send you a t-shirt. While you're there, don't forget to check out all the ways you can support the content you're passionate about. Thanks, everyone.